Thanks again for checking out another episode of the Big Sky Boneheads podcast. Super excited to welcome our guest in just a few minutes, Nick Wilder, a German actor, windsurfer, author, property owner, ranch guy. There's a lot to unpack another there. Another impressive, uh, impressive resume, international <laughs> traveler. I mean... TV star is like the least interesting thing that Nick Wilder has of his yeah. life accomplishments. No, it really is. And uh, in the more immediate future, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you got it. His name's Scott Hershey. My name's Michael Gray. Neither one of us are uh, one thirty second as interesting as Nick is. Um, but he's not the only uh, the only person from the entertainment world that's here in Montana right now because the governor of California showed up. Uh, and I consider at this point Gavin Newsom may as well be an actor. He's acting like a governor. Yeah, well, um, he's acting like a governor, and he's also, uh, for some reason, who knew that uh, by traveling to Montana he would uh, irritate his own state? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know this. California has a law against state-funded travel to, I believe it's 22 states, based on LGBTQ regulations in those states. They do not want people using um, state money to travel to various states, including Montana, uh, which begs the question, who's paying for the governor's security that travels with him? Mm -hmm. I bet it's the state of California. Probably. (laughs) And uh, there are some people, some folks, that have questions. That are upset. I don't know exactly uh, where in the state that Gavin Newsom is. I did see a picture of him with Ryan Zinke, which I thought was an interesting combination of people. Uh, they're on opposite ends of the political spectrum. I would love it if they were talking because that'd be a nice change of direction from what most politicians <laughs> do, which is to never engage at all with anybody who doesn't share all of their views. I do like the fact that Montana is on the radar as if the governor from California travels here. If people in California are immediately lit up. They're like, we got to find a reason why he shouldn't be in Montana. So they found it in this uh, state-funded travel thing, uh, and now they've got people arguing on Twitter about whether he is on state funds or whether he's not. There's one, uh, Anthony York, who said, Scoop, the travel ban applies to using state funds. The governor's travel is not being paid by the state. Connecting the two is attempted gotcha journalism that is neither gotcha nor journalism so now californians are mad at californians well and and montanans are mad at californians well everybody's mad at california everybody hates california (laughs) they did that map i can't remember who it was did the map and they're like the state you dislike the most and you know there were all the natural rivalries like michigan hated ohio and ohio hated michigan florida hated georgia and georgia hated florida and the entire western u.s hated california along with texas yeah can't stand it. Um, but it probably, I mean, if you're going to make a rule and tell everybody, like, you're not allowed to go to Montana on, on state money. Okay. Are, what about all... Are, he may have traveled here and bought his own ticket, but he doesn't travel alone. Well, it's a vacation. It's a family vacation. I don't know what he's doing for vacation in Montana. Uh, again, I haven't seen anything other than just... Does a, does a vacation involve a meeting with Ryan Zinke? That seems weird. Uh, but there's also people saying... So, because uh, it'd be denying that it's uh, state-funded, so he's in Montana with no security detail or any assistance paid for by the state at all? Uh, is that true? Uh, this is going to be a big, evidently, deal in, in California. Yeah, I don't, uh, I, don't, I don't know how it works out. I hope he doesn't stay. I hope he doesn't buy any land. No. That tends to happen with anybody of note from California. They show up in Montana like, yeah, I really like it here. I think I'll buy a piece. Uh, hopefully that's not what he and Zinke are talking about um, with any with any luck at all. Um, but I don't know. It, well, it wasn't long ago we couldn't find our own governor when the state was flooding. So now we've got another governor who we don't want in the state this right. year. And now he's not. I don't know. It's it's very strange. It's um, 
It's fun to see California get mad about a Californian in Montana for a change. That's a nice change of pace. If they're banning coming here, this is the best news we've had in a long time. <laughs> right. I mean, I, whether you stand wherever you stand on the LGBTQ thing, or they're also getting mad about to what the state hasn't even done yet for abortions, they're all mad about it. But if it ends with all Californians not wanting to be here anymore... Sweet. Yeah, by the way, uh, for those Californians listening that are mad about the recent Roe v. Wade decision, you might want to read the Montana State Constitution. It makes for interesting reading. <laughs> At any rate, I did not. I would not have had the uh, apocalypse bingo card that included Gavin Newsom setting his own state on fire over a visit to, the, to our state. That doesn't make any sense in any realm. Yet here we are. All right, that's enough of that. It is time to welcome our guest. I don't know what's about to happen. I'm I'm out over my skis on we this one. We always are. Yeah, this this time especially. I just something just occurred to me a moment ago, and we'll get to it in a second. Uh, Want to welcome actor Nick Wilder into the studio with us here, sir. Well, how are you, guys? You? Thank you. I'm very well. It's uh, it's a beautiful morning in Montana, and uh, couldn't be better. Now, if you're picking up on a touch of an accent. Uh, that is because Nick's not from Round Hill. Um, what, what kind of accent? I don't have an accent. <laughs> you, you brought a book. Uh, man, we got to talk windsurfing, acting, the love boat, and uh, and being an author. And the greatest of all because Airbnbs we're going to discover. Well, yeah, we got, we got, and then there's that wine around the fire only like for the one percenters. You brought a book in that you wrote about you, and I'm. this is my country mouse goes to the city moment. It never occurred to me that in other countries, obviously, it wouldn't be in English. I'm like, I'm looking over there. I'm like, das Leben. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's not even in real words. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, German people probably read books, too. Um, <laughs> they do. In they German, do. As, as, strangely as, enough. As it turns out. Um, man, where do we even start? Well, uh, Nick is uh, is more famous in Germany than you are here, more well-known. He and his wife both, who... Just to give a, the, the, I'm going to give them the brief explanation. You can definitely expound on this, uh, Nick. All right. But we're just going to say, just to identify with the listeners, Nick played uh, the doctor on the German version of Love Boat for 20 years. No, for 10 years. Oh, 10 years. Yeah, I'm sorry, I did 10 different years. roles, different episode roles, okay. but then he made me the doctor after 10 I years. I got you. I got you. So I, I didn't know the full thing. I knew that's where you ended up, and I saw your farewell scenes and some of that on on, uh, on the website. But uh, so outside of that, I mean, that's just such a small capsule of your TV career and why you're well known in Germany. Give us a little bit more about that, because I also saw some insurance commercials and things like that. Well, insurance commercial, yeah. You all know uh, the Maytag man in this country, right? Right. I mean, everybody knows the Maytag man, and I was the kind of a Maytag man in Germany when I started my acting career in Hollywood uh, at age. 40, which was pretty late and crazy to go there as a foreigner, um, then uh, it, it brought me back after eight years to Germany, and uh, they were looking for a new, the third Mr. Kaiser. And Mr. Kaiser was the friendly insurance guy, and there were guys before me, the number one, number two, and they were looking for the James Bond of the insurance company. And uh, I was the guy that came, the, uh, had the longest uh, f way to get to Munich to the casting uh, all the way from LA. And there were about 160 contenders. I got the job. And um, that made me pretty famous. 86.5% uh, in 2000. Three new Mr. Kaiser. So if you go over to Germany and somebody on, on the railroad, whatever, you ask me, you know this insurance guy, Mr. Kaiser? They sure know me. Yeah, and that, so it worked. Yeah, it it, it worked. And uh, if I get over there and and look for a, a free. 
beer? Is that going to help me? Like, I know that guy. <laughs> well, He's a friend. As, he lives in my town. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Alan Scott, the uh, musical director of the Helen Symphony, he was at the Hofbrauhaus House in Munich, and he, he sat together with another guy, and he said, uh, well, you know this guy, Mr. Kaiser? He says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he showed him the picture where we live. He says, well, that's where I paid my policy money. <laughs> this, <laughs> so this is how the guy spent it. <laughs> yeah, do people, I mean, your average German citizen, if you said, I, I live in Mont- the state of Montana in the U.S. Oh, they know where it is. Really? Oh, yeah, Cause yeah. Because most people in the U.S. don't know where Montana is. So. I do. I know. They always have these <laughs> uh, on, on the talk, t- t- TV talk show, the night shows, they always have these uh, funny clips where people ask on the street, "Where is what's the capital of uh of Belgium, and they say uh, it's uh, Moscow. Whatever people are so, so <laughs> dumb and stupid, you'll find the same stupid people in Germany. Believe me, where people just don't know nothing. Yeah, I assume we so. have the heavyweight championship of stupidity over here. I kind of <laughs> right. assume no, we're the no, heavyweight no. champ. It's everywhere. People oh. divvy up the same all over the world. <laughs> Do they understand the, the the kind of the vastness of uh, what Montana is? Because I, you know, when I when I and I've not been to Europe. When I when I see things about it, and I hear <laughs> not people, been to Europe. You've been to South Dakota. That's basically true. Yeah, but people drive. <laughs> From country to country, like we do state to state, only it's I know. further here across Montana. Yeah, and they all speak a different language. So that's why a lot of people in Germany uh, speak, you know, two, at least they speak two uh, languages, English. And um, they always say, I read that on Facebook, is there, don't ever make fun of anybody or somebody that uh, has an accent because he knows a second language. <laughs> so he's right. smarter than right. For sure. Now, do you, can they, and having not seen the Alps in person, my sister has, um, does this, does Montana, is that, oh, it's it's more arid, obviously, here. It, it compares. It's, but Montana, are there mountain regions yeah, that oh, yeah. are Montana, comparable? Montana has its own beauty. Um, this, the place where my um, wife is from, northern Italy, uh, South Tyrol, that's very comparable to it. It's beautiful, beautiful. It's similar to um, Glacier Park. Um, the only difference is in Glacier Park and other mountain regions, you walk for an hour or two or three, and there's still not a pub. And over there, there's a pub, um, you know, uh, <laughs> half a mile down the road with uh, nice cakes and uh, homemade food and the farmers. And it's uh, it's a little different and a lot of, you know, well-prepared tracks where you can walk and hike. And so this is wild. And this is what people love from Germany That's about Montana. And that's all they know and they dream of is like cowboys and Indians. You know, when we were kids, that, that's right. Montana for them. So they, they all think that we live on a big ranch. They always say, Nick Wilder has his ranch. No, I don't have a ranch. We don't <laughs> even have a cat in the house. So, <laughs> so uh, that's the, the, the typical uh, picture that people have of the Wilders living in the Wild West. L- fewer castles in these mountains. Right. Yeah, yeah, fewer castles. That's right. But our house is yellow, like all the castles in Bavaria. Ah. So, is that real? Really? Yeah, it's uh, there is it's a special color called uh, Maria Theresia yellow, and she was the empress, and she thought that all the houses and the castles were so dull. She wanted a color that makes you happy, and that's a it's a certain kind of yellow, and we have that kind of yellow in our house, and people walk in and they're happy. So well, when he when he says house, I mean if you're a listener have not checked it out, uh, this. The house doesn't really do it justice. It's called uh, Montana Ting. First of all, tell us the name, Ting. 
What, what does that mean? Oh, ting what does is that a, mean to is you? It's an old Celtic word. Uh, ting is a gathering place, and ting derives from the English expression thin. Uh, there's an English uh, word that says thin places. Have you ever Googled that? Thin places, the New York Times, Lovely Times, they have big articles about it. And it's a place that was, that was, that was holy for the Celtic people. And um, you, you looked from a mountainside like we do into the, into the vast land, and the layer between the earthly and the godly, the heavenly, is so thin that you lose yourself. So thus, thin places. Very uh, nice. They have a whole philosophy so. about it. And when I came to Montana and uh, came over the hill and looked at this place and looked at Lake Hauser, I thought, wow, I grew up with all these ting places. I've visited many in Denmark and in England and in Germany, and this is my private ting place. Well, it, it is absolutely beautiful. <laughs> and as I said, I, I can't even describe what it, what it is. I haven't been there. I've seen the pictures on it. It is it is gorgeous. Every aspect of it is, is uh, thoughtfully done. Uh, when... When you just explained just a touch about why you chose the site, you saw it and knew. Tell us a little bit more about why, not only why Montana, but why Helena? Because we, the reason we, we got in discussion with Nick is people brought him up to us as an example of somebody in our local area here who is uh, more famous in Germany than here. But uh, we don't have our celebrities here. We don't have the, like, Big Sky has him, Kalispell's got him, Missoula's got him. But why did you choose Helena and, and this particular area? Well, um, you, you gotta. I want to tell the listeners, and, and especially tell tell your kids, the listeners out there, hang on to your dreams. And when you have a dream, it's a wonderful thing when, when kids make things up and have a dream. And I had a dream when I was 10 years old. I grew up on a farm in Germany on an island in the Baltic Sea. Um, uh, our neighbor had a black and white TV, and that was the biggest thing in the village. And we all ran over there when we were kids. In 1962, I saw the first episode, and I saw all the episodes of Bonnet. So I thought, when looking at that TV, if I ever could sit on a hillside with a lake in front of me and either ride down or walk down, that would be like oxygen tank galore. Like I, I could just breathe in, you know, all the time. So then um, I came to the United States when I was 30 and had a windsurfing store in Fort Lauderdale. And when I decided to become an actor in Los Angeles, <clears throat> um, I, was, I was into it about about two years. And a friend of mine called me from Fort Lauderdale and said, Nick, guess where I am? I said, I, I don't know, Florida. She said, no, Montana. I said, well, good for you. When are you going to come and visit? And I said, well, I don't know, one of these days. She said, you're the reason we moved here. I said, why would I be the reason that you moved here? She says, oh, come on, for 10 years you've been telling us about Montana. It's the biggest, it's the nicest. It's, I said, that was in black and white, D. This, this, I've, I've never been there. She says, oh, get out of here. She said, you've never been here? I said, you got to come. So I came, and <clears throat> she was down in Bozeman uh, and uh, south of uh, Four Corners. And she wanted me to buy the 20 acres next to her. And I said, ah, no, there's not one tree on it. But look at the view. I said, yeah, but there's not a tree on it. There's no, no lake, no nothing. That's not what I had in mind. And she had a, a, a thing called Homes and Lands of Montana. It was a magazine. Mm -hmm. And um, it just came out, the new one. And I looked at a picture and said, this is what I have in mind. And she says, oh, that's up in Helena. I said, where's that? Well, that's the capital uh, north of here. And tomorrow I'm going to do my paper rounds. And I already made an appointment because guess what? My neighbor, Patricia, she is a real estate agent for that new development that came up there, that ranch that they did up. I said, oh, well, for appointment for what? Well, just have a look. 
And then I talked to the foreman. He showed me 20 acres. I said, that's eight hectare. You know, I'm a farm boy. I know how big that is. There's trees. But where's that lake thing? You have water here somewhere. That's on the other side. So we came over the hill at 530 in October 1996, and the sun was setting over Helena, a big red fireball, and a big fat moon came over Lake Hauser, and, and, and I was sold. I was like, mm. this is my private bonanza in color. Very there's, nice. There's it's, like if I was trying to draw the flowchart of yeah. that particular story, <laughs> you were running a windsurfing store in Fort Lauderdale, which is not in Montana or in California. Then went to L.A. Then got a call <laughs> from Bozeman and ended up on Hauser Lake. <laughs> right, That's the story. A, man. There's a lot going on there. And the Big Sky area wasn't good enough, so they picked uh, Helen out of catalog, and so <laughs> right, but well, beautiful I'll tell, I'll tell choice. I tell you one thing. I mean, we lived there for 25 years now. Yeah, and uh, I've been in Bozeman. I've been to Kalispell. The weather in this particular valley is outstanding. And thank God on all the actors and the famous people and uh, Big Sky don't know it and didn't know it before they actually... No, they can uh, stay in Bozeman. Uh, yeah, yeah. For sure. More snow, <clears throat> wetter, always overcast. You look west, you look north to, to uh, Great Falls, overcast. Missoula, overcast, sunshine. There's not a mm. day where it's not sunny here in Helena. Yeah, absolutely true. I've lived in some of those places, and you're exactly right. This we we get such a nice, nice mixture, a nice milder version of everything. In and it has a beautiful downtown area, very historical. Mm -hmm. It's got a great cathedral. It's a wonderful town. All right. So a German guy and an Italian woman buy a spot in Montana and name it after Celtic religion. Um, <laughs> Don't get into religion <laughs> and politics. How did no? How did you how did you sell the misses on this? Because oh, she was was she this was, a shared dream? Well, she's an actress as well. We met on a uh, on a set in Berlin, and um, she has, she looked we had a coffee break, and she says, "Oh, you live, live in Montana, Switzerland? There's a town called Montana, like a region." I said, "No, no, 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 <laughs> U USA." And she says, "Oh, my, how is it there?" I said, "It's beautiful. It's beautiful." And uh, I had just started building a house, and um, I had a company here in Helena. <clears throat> I'm not going to say the name, and I kicked these guys out because they were just uh, stupid. They didn't know what they were doing. They thought I was a dumbass actor, but I actually studied uh, wood economy at the University of Hamburg, so yeah. I knew. Of course you did. Yes. <laughs> so, Why wouldn't you? <laughs> you, need that, so, you need that to run a windsurfing shop. So um, <laughs> I, I I kicked them out, and I was like told her the whole story, and I was like so so upset about these guys and and she listened for three days and i thought gosh she's a wonderful woman and she's good looking and um so that's the story that's how our love story started and then she came over here and felt very much at home because she's from the dolomites it's beautiful there and it's like mm. kind of the same and um the people here are like in northern germany in schleswig-holstein that's where i'm from they kind of look at you like uh well, they don't judge you by the car. They don't judge you. They judge you more by the character. And they don't, they're not become your friends like right away. But once you have friends, you have friends. So that's what I like about the folks here. Well, we briefly mentioned and kind of flew past this, but it's such an interesting <laughs> part. Everything you say, I mean, there's these tangents that are just so interesting. And that's why you wrote a book about your life. But uh, windsurfing. Uh, you, you you had a windsurfing shop. That kind of is the short version of, of what you're world champion. 1977, and you know, all the journalists always bring it up. Say, oh, boy, you're a world champion. Said, well, hold the horses. Hold the horses. In 1977, I, I saw a windsurfer in uh, 74, 75 in California, came back to my home island. And there was a guy that actually had a windsurfer and a little windsurfing school. So um, I picked it up right away. It was my sport. I loved it. Uh, and two years later, I became a world champion windsurfer. Yes, but there were no Koreans. There were no Japanese people. It was like it was a young sport. So there were four windsurfers at the time. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, it's like six and a half. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, but still, I mean, it was nasty weather. It was like a three-day uh, competition with uh, wind forces beyond. I mean, it was just very windy. But we were tough guys from the island, and we, we won. So, I take the title. But oh, I mean, it's. Yeah, it's a world champion wind surfer with a little few fewer countries. And how did, how did that end up taking you into acting? How did that uh, you you became a model? Well, I I uh, went to uh, I went to Denmark and uh, opened up a windsurfing store. Then uh, after I studied finished my studies in Hamburg, I opened up a windsurfing store in Fort Lauderdale. I ran that for eight years, and that that beach boy life, you know, being mm-hmm. at the beach, long hair, always suntan, flip flops, shorts got kind of boring I was, there was no more challenge and uh, I um, ended up uh, through a weird circumstance uh, in, on Miami Vice the number the fifth episode the great McCarthy and had two sentences and it, it, was, it was fun it was like being back in the in, in the days when I had my my band I had a rock and roll band when I was 16 until I was 18 and so uh, I found an agent and then I found that all interesting a feeling like being back on stage and uh, so I sold the store. I just made a decision that that part is over, that dream is over. Sold the store, went to Hollywood, and uh, jumped right in. And things didn't go so well in the beginning, <laughs> of course. But then uh, in 1994, after three years, I um, played uh, a, a Swedish archaeologist in Roland Emmerich's film Stargate, the famous movie. James and Spader. James Spader. Uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, and was it Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell yeah. was in there. And um, it was a wonderful movie, great experience. And uh, then everything from then on, everything's history. I, you know, then my career took off and all good. Now, I'm, I'm making a list as we go along. Band, actor, author, windsurfer, degree in wood economy. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot <laughs> See, going on here. A degree in wood economy, that what? brought me to Hollywood. <laughs> there you have it. What kind of support system did you have for all this? Because all this dream chasing is something that a lot of parents are going to go, shut up, kid. None. You get a none, job at the factory. None, and none, none. As a matter of fact, that's kind of a, a, a part of my book that's pretty heavy. And, and when I, my book readings now in Germany, that's why people all kind of like get really quiet. Um, I was the youngest uh, of uh, four kids uh, on a farm. And my father was, uh, well, he was uh, more, uh, how would you call it? He fought in the war and uh, believed in this guy that always lifted his arm. Ah. His arm you know, Adolf. So um, the, the 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 older son was always like the, the the better son. So I was like waiting for forty years for him to reach out and be proud of me once, just once. Right. And the night before I flew to uh, basically started my new life in Hollywood, he actually said it. And so uh, no, I had no life support. But at the end, and I also wrote that in my book because I, I wanted to prove my point. I wanted to prove myself to him. That was the the the, the dynamite. That was the motor. That I, I did the craziest things. Started a business in Fort Lauderdale with no money. I borrowed merchandise from the guys that I dealt with in Denmark with my shop and on trust. Trust is a very a big value in my life. And uh, you know your word, your word counts. So um, they they gave me stuff uh, $140,000 worth in a 40-foot container. We shipped it off to Fort Lauderdale and I had a fully stocked store but I had to pay it back of course. So uh, and and those are the things no I had no support. I just jumped in and that's why I married very late because I didn't want to I had a lot of relationships, but it, not very deep because I didn't want to drag anybody into my crazy ideas that if it goes wrong, then I drag somebody down. But uh, 
when I was ready for it with Christine, I was ready, and uh, we both were ready. She was 38, I was 48. And uh, it's, um, what, a couple of days ago, on the 30th of June, we had our 21st anniversary. So Very nice. All good. That is fascinating. Tell us a little bit more about her, because uh, she is also, you met on a set, she's also an actress. Yeah, well, everybody that knows her in Helena knows she is beautiful, she is fun. She claims she has no accent, <laughs> but she does. <laughs> she does. And, um, and, and, and she always, she always uh, says, you know, I will never work in the States, you know, I have an accent. And I said, you will. And actually, she worked in the States last year. She was on the set um, of um, uh, the, the, son, uh, the last son of uh, LeMay or whatever that was shot here with Machine Gun Kelly. And she had a role in there, and that role was actually written in the script with an accent. She was the, the woman that um, was um, running the orphanage in the Wild West here. But... They scratched the scene. Like she got, uh. she got there, and she wasn't makeup, she wasn't costume, and they scr- scratched the scene. So now she's getting SAG Screen Actors Guild checks, uh, 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 like you know, once or twice uh, a month, and has the credit, but will never appear in the movie. So I keep telling her, you know, there's people that try to have an accent, American actresses. You have an accent, so uh, live lean with into it. that. Lean into That's that. Your superpower. So, so we'll we'll see what the future brings. And it is interesting to look through your your IMDb database and to see all of the credits because you'll see like a, like with yours, you'll see a lot of German titles, yeah. and then and then suddenly there's a the Born movie. So <laughs> well, there's a story with the Born movie. Uh, we set in uh, Livingston with a producer in um, that was a film conference there in 2001, I think. And uh, he asked me about two in the morning. We were pretty, you know, snuzzled already then. He said, uh, you know, what are you doing next summer? I said, well, I don't know. what. Why? He says, well, I'm doing a second Bourne movie. I said, you did Bourne movie? He said, yeah, and uh, I need a bad guy. And you're the perfect guy. You look a little bit like Pierce Brosnan. And his wife says, yeah, he does look like He's a friend of ours. It's like, oh, really? Of course he is. And uh, so it was all set up. And then the heirs of the Bourne movie series, um, uh, the, of the guy that wrote it, he died. Uh, they wanted to become producers all of a sudden, so everything was like upside down. It was uh, cast in the bad guy was cast in England, so I thought this is my chance for a really big screen. Well, it didn't happen. And then the producer called me, says, "I, you know, I still want you to be in it. If you want to be the the CIA guy uh, in in Berlin, I'm like, okay." But I saw in the script already that that wasn't that of an important part. Mm-hmm. So when we finally saw the movie, Christine and I, we were in Germany when the movie came out. I said, now here comes my scene. And you saw my ear and the tip of my nose. <laughs> and that's it. But that happens to every actor. You ask I'm every sure it actor. Does. You know, get, you could just, you know, cutting board. Boom. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. You know who's never had his nose in a Born Supremacy movie? <laughs> Me. Uh, See? So you're fine. Could have, could have, would have, should have. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. And it might be a blessing in disguise living here. You don't want, because you can kind of fly under the radar around Montana yes, and where a, you might not be able to in Germany. That's a beautiful thing because, you know, it's as an actor, when you're famous um, in a certain region, not worldwide famous, it's, it's, it's kind of annoying. People, people are, are different. They behave different when they see you. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's him. Uh, and it's always much more fun to meet people on on, on a you know same eye level, mm-hmm. and uh, they're all relaxed and like oh oh you're an actor oh and then it's it's a different it's a different um, conversation. I'm okay. <laughs> this keeps happening. We're uh, we're we're not what tw- it, there's so many directions. Well, we're 20 minutes into this. Right. You mentioned that you look like Pierce Brosnan. I'm still in my head going. You know what? Son of a bitch. Kind of does the glasses. Yeah. No, I can totally see. And he's like. We know him. He's a friend. Like, right. You went right 
right past that. I'm like <laughs> you just zoom right by it. I'm like, hang on. Now we're talking about the. Uh, um, what happens when you bring people out here? Because when, I got to believe, like I'm I'm originally from the Midwest, right? So like you can drive to Montana from where I was born and raised. And you see it get better and better and better the further west you drive, especially after you get past Indiana, Illinois. Yep. Like that's where it kind of bottoms out, and then it starts getting better. Um, but when you're bringing somebody over from Europe, who's been on a plane for a long time, multiple stops, and then what? What kind of reactions do you get when you're bringing in these friends of yours from overseas? I assume they come in, they've got to get an initial impression of this joint. Yeah, and they usually fly in late, so that it's dark, you know, at the airport. Which is perfect, because you know, the, the, they get to yeah, see the yeah, sunrise. And then next morning, uh, they see a little bit of, of our house, and, and, and then the next morning they see the view. And my mother-in-law from Italy said, I'm in heaven. I'm in heaven. This is like just just amazing. Our view is amazing, and and we're so thankful. Every morning, uh, one of us makes coffee. We go back to bed for another 15 minutes and just look over the Missouri and go like, thank you, thank you, thank you, Buddha, Jesus, everybody out there, whoever (laughs) created all this. It's amazing. And, uh, you know, the Helena Valley is amazing. The Lake Hauser, it all looks great. And they're overwhelmed. They're totally overwhelmed. And, and they can see why we live here. It's, yes, it's South Tyrol, Italy, where Christine's from, is beautiful, but this is, it's got its own magic. I find it amazing that you, uh, you dreamt this house, you found the perfect spot, uh, everything we've talked about with Montana Ting, um, you could have easily put up a gate and kept it to you, yourself, and, and the people you know. And yet, you, you still invite can, the public You there. still can, by the way. Right? You, you absolutely can. Well, we do have a gate. I, I'm we, looking as, at the pictures. <laughs> but <laughs> everybody would have understood if you would have just basically said, this is ours, and, and used it as almost a retreat. A lot of people do that, and I, and I completely understand it. But you do it. You had a public event there. The symphony does a concert there. You you It's on Verbo. It's listed. There's there's many reasons why you couldn't have done that. Why do you choose to, to choose that uh, to to share it with the public well it was just a gut feeling i mean we we uh i started building the house and christine came into my life uh the the neighbors came up to me and said this is a big house nick Uh, uh, are you nesting i said i didn't know that word i said what's nesting (laughs) what do you have a family of kids you've got a girlfriend i said no i don't even have a girlfriend because I know that all my friends got in a fight and even divorced over the tiles, over the kitchen, over this, over that. And then um, the, the minute all the tiles were in, and by the way, they're all Italian tiles, um, Christine came into my life. And then we did the rest, uh, the furnishing, everything. We, we uh, through the. Uh, is the is any of your stuff still in the house? Because you got married after. I, I, I had a house, and then I met my wife, and she moved in. And my shit left immediately. Like well, it was see, just gone. It was an empty house. Okay, so, perfect. So, so, so it was perfect. The tiles, right? I mean, they're they they glued down. They they, they can't move. <laughs> so everything was there, and then uh, no furniture. And that's when I met Christine, and that's when I already was involved in the love boat, and uh, just been jumping back and forth. Now the love boat, mm-hmm. um, the German love boat is still the one of the biggest shows in Germany. It has been for forty years. The secret is that it airs on the second uh, uh, second uh, Christmas day and New Year's Eve and Easter. That's why the family is home, no bad language, no murder. So that's why it's so popular. And the guy, the producer, Wolfgang Rademan, um, he decided after he saw the the American Love Boat, it's all studio work, to do this thing uh, as, a, as a whole evening movie, an hour and a half, and shoot it on a real cruise ship and uh, on real locations. So in those 20 years and the 10 that I was played the doctor, there's a doctor and a, cap, a captain and a, and a, and a, and a stewardess, the, the main three figures, just mm-hmm. like in the U.S. one, 
Um, we have seen every beach, every resort, every we've seen the world ten times over. And we brought a lot of stuff. And we were in, when I met Christine, we were in Bali. And she hadn't seen the house yet. And uh, uh, I imported a 40-foot container with with furniture, very unique stuff uh, that's still at the house. No, it's, yeah, it's still there. <laughs> and then you said, by the way, we're having company over. And what, did, what was her reaction to that? <laughs> well, no, she's from a hotel, uh, not Dynasty, but her parents have a, have a beautiful hotel in the Alps and um, I once mentioned I grew up with these with these ting places and it's a gathering place that's the meaning of it where people come and 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 just uh, join and in the old days the real Celtic ting places were was a fire pit with a big boulders around it in a circle and the elders would then decide what to do in the future so um, we talked about it some more, and she definitely didn't want a hotel. Mm -hmm. I said, what about an Airbnb? That would be great retirement because we could build a little bit on the side, and, and, uh, and it has a tower. And the story of the tower is also a funny one because I said, I could build a tower in front of the guest house because then it shelters the perfect northwest wind that comes every day that we feel every day, north, mm -hmm. northwest, west. And, um, and I said, under one condition. Uh, I built a tower, but when I say Rapunzel, Rapunzel, and you let the hair down, it better not be the armpits tied together. Like, <laughs> that's kind of a, like the, the joke of the day. And we built the tower, and it came out beautiful, and it took a long time before we finally opened the guest house about two or three years ago, right when the pandemic came, and we thought, mm. oh, that's it. Now we've spent so much money and spent so much time and so much detail, nobody's going to come. Well, <laughs> the first renters were four people from, from, from New York. Four weeks, four weeks they stayed. They wow. just fled New York. You had a big company in New York and in London. And the, the condition was, he says, could you give, give me a little break? I said, yeah, sure, four weeks, that's a lot of money. Sure, we do. Uh, but one condition is the family dog's going to come. Mm. And the, the kids just love the family. Kids were like six and eight. Uh, and I thought, oh, we have a no-pet policy. What are we going to do now? Okay, we're going to clean like crazy once they're gone. Uh, and, and, and then just be it. Well, they called us from North Dakota as they were driving cross country and they said, don't, don't stay up tomorrow, tomorrow when we come because uh, the dog died. <laughs> and you're like, oh, oh so well, sorry to hear that. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. So that problem was solved. But then we were, we've, we've been booked that year. It was fully booked because everybody was looking for a place, social distancing, 40 acres, a swimming pool, you know, it's it's all yours. Nobody else is there. It's like a five-star hotel, but you're the only person. And uh, so that was fine with Christine, that concept, because there's not that much work. We we, we meet the clients or the, the renters at the fire pit that we have, and I play the guitar once in a while on the harmonica, and they think, oh, this is the Wild West. This is so romantic. <laughs> and they go home with a smile, and that's all that counts. They're happy. It's a beautiful place. I mean, it's, it, well, it's, it is. it's outrageous. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at it the whole time you're talking, and I would be the guy. I not only would have a gate, I would have armed guards. I would have <laughs> electric fences. There'd be bears roaming we, we the property. Have, we do have a gate because um, Christine wanted a garden, and you can't have a garden. Listen to this out there. You can't have a garden in Montana no. if you don't have a fence and a gate. You and, better have uh, all because the things. They annihilate, annihilate everything. What you know? The, the first time we had a the, the terrace door was open, and there was a little fawn. Uh, Walking around the aisle, walked out, looked at us like, "What are you looking at?" And like, and then they ate all Christine's roses that you bought for 150 bucks, and she was like, "All but down and out." She's like, "Oh wait, I will never have a garden." And 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 she wanted a fence, so we put a fence up with uh, with a gate. 
uh, and she has the most beautiful garden in Helena. Every year, my wife puts out the flowers in and around our house and around the outside and the back of the property, and, and every year she come. gets pissed at the deer. <laughs> you come out, there's just stems. I'm like, what? every year we got to do this. But you got to freeze the full of meat, right? Uh, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few of them that pay to the ultimate price for being on the wrong side yeah. of things. Um, where's the furthest away you've had somebody show up to stay? Oh, the, from here, well, so far because of the pandemic, uh, the first away is probably uh, New York. Um, uh, we had a, people from many states, but the closest away is from Helena. Uh, we have quite a few parties from Helena that get away. We have a five-night policy. Uh, they come up to the house, they book it. If something goes wrong or they forgot something, it's 20 minutes away right. from, from town. But they feel like they're in Norway, Sweden, uh, Switzerland somewhere because from our house, uh, we can only see one house, and then we see Lake Hauser and a, a roof of another house. And then there's a little barn that we, is in our view, and that looks like Sweden, these typical red barns that you see in the fjords in, in Norway and Sweden. And uh, they feel like they, they escaped uh, Montana, they escaped the United States. And it's very European. We got these balusters, the big terrace. We got a boccia court, which is p- typical Italian or, or French. And it's right next to the tiki bar. So they have a glass of wine and they play butcher and uh, they get into the game. Then they dive into the pool. So it's a great vacation so close to home. Now, now it's not like I'm advertising. Well, <laughs> no, but, you don't need to if anybody's yeah, needs no, it. They'll I, completely yeah. understand everything you're saying uh, about it. Uh, and, and so with all those people from uh, all over the states... Uh, and then you meet them, you converse with them, and I, and I know you've been doing this for a long time living here. What is the biggest mis, you know, kind of misconception about about Germany, about about your country, about your your heritage and the things that that? What do you hear the most that you're like you cringe well, there's at? A, there's a there's a funny story. It's like every country has a conception of of other countries, right? And they're usually always loud because you don't understand their language. They, they, that's why they seem to be louder than everybody else. I always tell the story that how do you know that you're on a German Lufthansa flight? is when the captain announces, ladies and gentlemen, this is your Lufthansa captain speaking. We're about to land. Please forward your trays and fasten your seatbelts. And I want to hear one click only. <laughs> that's like the conceptions. That's why it took like, what, 40 years to, to actually in one of the German TV programs to air uh, Hogan's Heroes. The Germans couldn't laugh at it. You know? yeah, Klink was his yeah, name. Yeah, Klink. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I th- always thought it was funny, but Germans didn't didn't think it was funny. With the monocle, I remember that. Yeah, guy. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> black and white TV. There's a certain generation that learned about Germany from that show. Oh, that's know? why they have that conception, right? And I know, like, my my sister's lived all over, and so I've I've lived vicariously through her because I've been here in the states. But she lived in Stuttgart for a time. Stuttgart, Mercedes Town. Uh, yeah, yeah, and you know, brought back a a beamer like had it brought back with her she was in the army and had to sit through all of my cliched understandings I'm like oh what about this like no you idiot stop watching tv um do you have a place in germany do you maintain a, a place to live no, over there no i had a place in denmark for many years because i grew up on this island in the baltic sea and it was just a ferry ride over to denmark 
and uh, love that country. Um, had my first windsurfing school there, and uh, I started going there when I was 16. I smuggled cigarettes. Uh, I have to admit that. And and some people, you know, Catholics, they they go to the church, and I I just wrote my book uh, and put all my sins in there. And uh, I thought it was like a sport. It was more like highly a... criminal. I was like, I walk I walk by past these agents there when I got off the ferry with nine illegal cartons of cigarettes and one in my bag and one b- bottle of whiskey and then all these small little bottles in my in my parka in my in my bags and um, my first girlfriend was from Denmark and uh, number 17 was from Denmark too so I learned the lingo re- really quickly <laughs> it's a great country there are really cool people the Danish people very different from Germans very different that that's something that I wonder about because I, you know um, if you go from like say Indiana to Illinois Nothing there's no changes. different. No, no. no there's nothing. No. Nothing changes. It looks the same. Talks the same. Sounds the same. Um, but obviously, if you go even just from from Austria to Germany, big cultural changes. Huge yes. cultural changes. Yeah. Do you miss that? Uh, no, I don't miss it. And and all the European and German journalists always ask me, say, what do you miss the most? I was like, I don't miss anything. Like the, the German black bread, uh, because we go back and forth uh, every three four months. We go back and forth. So no kidding. Um, this way, I mean, what do your frequent everything. flyer miles look like? Uh, good. They gotta be good. good. Standing. Real good. good standing. When's the last time you paid for a flight? It's been uh, a minute. Well, you gotta pay in order to earn those miles. Right. So. Well, at some point though, they gotta be free at because that's uh, far. Yeah. Yeah, that mm-hmm. is far. And uh, the last flights over the past two or three years because of pandemic, uh, there was no use. I mean, we never fly first class. I can. I got a hard enough butt to sit through like eight nine hours of flight, and uh, but it was like flying first class because there was nobody on the plane. Um, there were like, you know, 10%, 15% filled, so you could choose your row, which, right. you, and you had four seats to yourself, got your base, a bunch of blankets, and then you bedded yourself like, uh, you know, like first class and came over there, got over there, rested. Does she need to get home? Does she does she still consider Italy home or is Montana home? Um, well, home is a, is a, is a, is a word. Uh, home is where your heart is at. That's what, what we're right. saying, and that's that's here. But where she grew up, like that kind of a home, you know, family and stuff. That's Italy. Yeah. And uh, she's very connected. She's got a beautiful family, got four sisters, and her mother's still alive and in good health. And, um, you know, I love, we love, I love going over there. And, and that's what I love about life. Uh, I can be this chameleon. I can be a, 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 a South Tyrolean and yodel and do whatever when I get there. I can be the Danish guy and, and be, behave like a Dane. And I can be uh, what does whatever. What that mean? Right. What is, what are, if you're behaving like get, a Dane, get a frame of beer with 36 bottles and sit down say, with a bicycle a, and just have a nice time. I have a feeling that's nice a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, the Danes are, they're, they're, yeah, they're very nice people. But And then be over here, be either be the cowboy or be the whatever, city person, or be the American and try different accents and, and you know, be more Southern. And That's going to be a great uh, base for an actor. And with the Montana film industry kind of uh, growing. It's uh, growing, and, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people who think that's a bad thing. Uh, they don't like the Yellowstone effect on what's happened to the state. But for you, it's it's got to be great to, to be, you know, be right down the road if they need somebody yeah, and, and to have uh, a lot of that happening. And here. I finally just signed up with an agent from uh, Montana, but she is in, um, she resides half- uh, of the year in Montana and half in Hawaii and very all co- well well connected to the uh, Hollywood scene and it looks at the breakdown every day so um, we'll see what's happening um, what's, what's going to happen um, uh, you know field is wide open and um, 
But if the Yellowstone series suddenly needs uh, somebody with a European accent, you're right here. It's a couple of hours away. Well, without a European accent, <laughs> I can, you know, I can <laughs> anything. Yeah, uh, whatever. I I have a now a good friend. Um, he's uh, from Missouri, and uh, he um, cast a movie called Steel, which is still in the financing loop. Um, and uh, we're looking for a, uh, a sheriff. And I did the casting for him, and, and he said, well, I just read that you had a 25-year career in Germany. He's like, welcome home. And the whole time he thought I was, I was this Texan guy. That, oh. Yeah, because uh, as an actor, you, 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 you look at the scene, and then you do the accent or whatever. Mm-hmm. You prepare for it so you can – because this chameleon that can – You do method uh, on set? On set, yeah, on set. Do you leave well, character? <laughs> no, but I mean, do, like back but, and forth. But do, do you, and, 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 no, no, I don't. I ran into I don't. there was a old, an old friend of mine. He got one part in one movie. He thought he was going to be famous, and it didn't work out. But um, he did a uh, he did a a, re- a release party. The movie was coming out. He came back to the town where he was from, and he showed up at his own party as the character from the movie. And he wouldn't break. He wouldn't break method for the party. And it got on my nerves so immediately. I was like, Brian, I'm going to strangle you. I know who you are. You don't talk like that. And it was, it was again, it was very well, naive. What, I was very young. And I'm watching this going, I don't get it. And now, since, in reading about actors and different things and, and, and guys that, like, they get locked in for months. Yeah, it's, um, it's believability. I like, right. uh, for example, Bob, Bob, uh, Robert De Niro. He, his wife once said in an interview that she can't stand him if he's not preparing for a role uh, because he's lost. He's like a nobody. He's, he doesn't know where he belongs. And then he gets this new role and he becomes the bus driver. He becomes right. whatever. And you have to do that because it's all about believability. A movie uh, shuts down for me when the character that, you know, whoever plays the character. And, and, I, and I don't believe the guy. It's like it's, like, it's fake. It's, it's acting. You don't act. You are. You become that person with everything. With all the flaws and all the whatever so what what is the last project you did and, and what's the do you have anything coming up uh soon uh right now right now no i don't um but you never know that's the interesting life of being an actor you don't know who's going to call you on tuesday and then the mm-hmm. world changes i mean changes for good uh, uh right now i'm uh, heavily into writing um I have finished after many years of work with my uh, co-writer Richard Opper, who now who was a Hellenian, now lives mm-hmm. in uh, in um, Missouri, uh, in Missoula, and uh, way Rich- different. By I the know. Way. Yeah, yeah, yes, I know. You don't want to get those yes, confused. I, I get miss- off that plane, you're going to be pissed. <laughs> I misspoke, <laughs> Missoula. And um, we worked on it um, uh, for for many many years, and it's called Father Love. A cautionary tale, and uh, it is a, about a young German kid, and a lot of um, or some of my life comes in there. It's a, uh, it's uh, many many true stories that are, are woven in into a fictional story, and it's about a young kid from Germany, uh, second son of a farmer, who um, comes to America for the first time and meets the first Jews and stays with them. And his father was very big, big Nazi. Right. And with a lot of family secrets. And uh, so he goes back to Germany, joins the military. And uh, next thing he finds himself uh, as an undercover agent in all the right-wing uh, crazy people, militia people in uh, Germany and East Germany and Denmark. And uh, he goes undercover for about 25 years and uh, ends up um, working for the ADL in America, and uh, we wrote ten episodes for 
um, for movies like a, like a, a streaming, uh, like Netflix. Mm -hmm. uh, and after that, we've, I thought we, we need to write the book because the story was already laid out. So now we have the book and now we're working on, on the pitching part, which is uh, treatments that you have for every episode, which is an hour. Uh, it's many, many pages. So it's a page and a half. And this quickly gives you an overview what is happening, where the movie is going, so that the industry people, they don't have time to read 635 pages. Mm -hmm. So they look at it, and then within 20 minutes, they know the gist, and they say, wow, this is interesting. And uh, I have to say that every day goes by, you read the newspapers uh, with the U-Haul <laughs> stories <laughs> that they're all out of there. Um, uh, it becomes more and more relevant and, and timely. And uh, so it's going to be interesting where that project is going. You don't have a lot of days off. Uh, no, I got to mow the lawn too, you know, for the, for the guests so that the thing looks pretty. <laughs> I, I find it fascinating that it can kind of go anywhere. I mean, obviously the writing projects, but yeah, in the course of just talking about what you've done, we've talked about, and we've talked about movies, we've talked about television, uh, we've we've talked about commercials, and also um, voiceover. I saw you did a Wild Thornberries episode of a cartoon yeah, my know. daughter used to watch. I know. It's, it's, anything it's, can anything can happen with that phone call. Anything can happen with the phone call, and uh, anything can happen with you know. Some some, some things that you like to do. For example, uh, uh, my music. When I was 16, I, I formed uh, a, a rock and roll and blues band. We became the second best German student band, and no one no one could read notes. We played by ear, and I, I'm a blues harmonica guy. I should have brought it. I, was, I, was, yeah, I saw yeah, the yeah. video of you. And um, so the um, next thing, we, we, we were famous on the island, at least, and um, now I'm down at um, Rennie's over at, uh, um, what's it called, the Highlander, and I play with Lula's band, uh, jump in and, uh, you know, do uh, Red House Blues uh, and do the harmonica. Uh, I just, uh, last year, I did a long concert with guitarists at the Planetarium in Hamburg. It was all about moon, moon dance, moon shadow. We played all these songs. And it's just fun uh, to jump in, and uh, also as a love boat doctor on these mm -hmm. ships, there's uh, there's always musicians, and uh, yes, I played that role. But the most fun part of, on the ship was to get with these extremely talented guys from Czechoslovakia or Bulgaria, the enormous uh, guitar and, and uh, piano players, and do some blues and do an evening uh, and and music. Uh, Music is a great thing. Oh, right, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I saw you play, and it was it was fantastic. Just another aspect of you that that uh, we didn't expect. The second best uh, German student band. There, that's <laughs> yeah. Add that to the resume. That's awesome. There's no way it didn't come with a, a ton of hard work and fortitude, and uh, not to overuse the phrase because it gets overworked in 2022. But bravery to take all the steps. But your life sounds like a winning lottery ticket. It does. Like I mean, just the things you're doing, the things you see. On a pretty regular basis, any one of which would be a, a bucket list, I got to see Germany. I got to see an island in the Baltics. You know, like any one of and for you, they're very, very routine. And then you've got a house that if I show it to my wife, I'm probably going to have to get divorced. You me. <laughs> I didn't get one of those. And that's what I had in mind. What well, if um, you come up and see the, the waterfall? She probably, she probably wants you to build one at your house. That's <laughs> oh, yeah. the, the least of my worries. It's the uh, the rest of it that I'm looking at. Yeah, it seems like the kind of the flow of your life has kind of just taken you in, in great places, and you've kind of let it do that, which I think there's got to be some sort of a life lesson that, that people can learn from from the things that have happened to you to, to kind of you know let yourself allow to be 
taken to and have doors open. Well, I, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've I've been I've been afraid in the morning, like a lot, like everybody is about life. Where where are we going? Is it going to work? Is it going to work out? And lo, a lot of things didn't work out, and you know, I paid the price for it. And uh, uh, and then, but but my attitude has always been: there's always something positive in a negative situation, no matter what it is. It's disaster. Like, oh my God. Why does it happen? And I'm, I'm always looking for the positive part in it. There's got to be a reason why this is happening to turn my life around in a different direction. And all these would have, should have, could have uh, things looking back in life, which I did in my book, um, it didn't happen. It, it, it wasn't there. So there's no use of, of contemplating if, if I would have gotten that role or if I would have made that decision in my life and not married that woman, what would have happened? And you dream up either some negative or some positive. No, the things that have happened, happen, and they happen for a reason. And I always try to find a, a, a good story in, in everything. And how's the book uh, going in Germany? How's that? Uh, how's that being received there? Well, I didn't write it, you know, to make money or, mm-hmm. or like sell thousands and thousands. It went really well. It was pandemic time, and now I'm doing the reading. I'm going readings. I'm going back uh, in October uh, to continue, and uh, I'm back on ships. Uh, I'm on cruise ships now. They want the you know love boat doctor, of course. Everybody You're promoting knows it, him. yeah. And promoting a book, and uh, I'm getting a, a free. Uh, uh, cruise ship uh, tour out of it, uh, crossing the ocean on the 6th of December <laughs> to the Caribbean, uh, cruising around the Caribbean, getting off the boat the 22nd of December and flying home to Helena. And all we got to do is read from the book, take my guitar and my harmonica and play a little uh, country and western song and Willie Nelson songs about, you know, of all the girls I loved before. It's that's like fits, fits my life. And they're all smiling and they all loved other girls before as well. So, yeah, it's... Um, uh, it's it's a fun read for two two hours and twenty minutes and it's entertaining and it's uh, people cry people laugh, um, so yeah I get a lot of satisfaction out of it and uh, and looking back in the rearview mirror which I never thought I would have done, uh, you can clearly see your life why things happened and why you had to meet these people and going back to the beginning of our conversation. Tell your kids, keep dreaming. I was a dreamer. I was such a dreamer that every uh, every morning when I woke up, I had my eyes open after the first sip of uh, chocolate, hot chocolate milk that my mother always served me. And right on the right on the on the bench, there was a big uh, ten pound uh, bucket with sugar, and I kept pounding this sugar into this thing, into this thing. And one morning, uh, I had to walk about a mile and a half to the next village to go to the elementary school. She saw my books were still on the bench. So she jumped in the car and uh, chased me down, and here I was walking with that bucket of sugar to the school. So that's how that's <laughs> I was a total dreamer. But mm-hmm. dreams do come true. You got to believe in them, and um, and then they will happen. It just takes a lot of time sometimes. I don't know what lies beyond envy, but I'm there. Like whatever, <laughs> oh, whatever, no, whatever no. whatever's beyond the. No, 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 no. You're. Uh, it's a. It's an unbelievable story. Come up to the thing and get a beer or a cup of coffee or something, would, and then you're not envy. Awesome. You're in the midst. It's of not it. gonna. It's not gonna help the envy. Um, <laughs> I actually, be, my so, wife would be good with me for like two months if she just got to walk in the gate at that place. So yeah, that would be incredible. Um, Nick, man, um, this has been awesome. Thank you 
for taking well, the time. Thank you. And thank you. Out of <laughs> when you're not on a cruise ship or playing harmonica or hosting guests or acting in famous <laughs> movies. Um, I, I just couldn't believe it when when Marvin, Marvin and BJ, uh, Marvin Ellison called me uh, early in the morning and said, Nick, you've been on the radio. I'm like, uh, what radio? Well, <laughs> you know, that you're the most famous person in hell. And I said, are you bullshit me? What, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, that, these guys that have that funny morning show there and, and, uh, and, and they Googled you and you are, fa I was like, you get out of here. And then BJ uh, made the connection, and uh, and here I am. Yeah, the weirdest the <laughs> weirdest part great. about this is I met Nick at a rodeo. So we'll just <laughs> add that into the mixture right. of everything uh, that had the. I'm surprised of you that. weren't performing, right. um, <laughs> no, frankly, at no. the rodeo or riding. There is sanity, and I think I do think things think things through. <laughs> well, this has been awesome. Uh, we will include uh, in the show links, obviously, the Montana Ting link and anything else uh, to get a hold of you. And then when that book comes out in a language that I can read dumb American. Yes, yeah, you will um, get a signed copy and I want to just uh, take the opportunity and also thank all these people that supported the Hello Symphony that for the fourth time came to the Ting and we had a beautiful, we are, we are truly lucky, you're right we lucked out for the fourth time had beautiful, beautiful weather and it was only last uh, 10 minutes. It was a little little chilly. But people were told to bring a jacket. Some didn't. They don't live in Montana long enough, I guess. Yeah, but learn. we had Marvin on the roof. I have to say this. Marvin, my that. friend Marvin Ellison, he was the pirate. He was Johnny Depp on the roof because the symphony played uh, Pirates um, uh, of the Caribbean. And we had the belly dancer group from Helena with the sable dance. They were, looked like, uh, you know, pirate whores. And, and, and it's just like, <laughs> it, it was just all crazy. I was, our neighbors were uh, on the terrace and they were lit up. Uh, they did uh, Beauty and the Beast and uh, she was in this beautiful dress and he had this big bulky head uh, as the Beast. <laughs> and and all these people that came supported the, the Helena Symphony. It was great. We raised some money and they all went home with a smile. And that's the most important thing. They all go home with a smile. Anytime I've had pirate whores at my house, my neighbors were less supportive. Uh, <laughs> well, I, told them, I told everybody at the party, I said, listen guys, this actually is Johnny Depp out there, but don't tell anybody because he does need the money. It's <laughs> awesome. Nick, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks again to Nick Wilder, who's like a real-life version of the most interesting man in the world. I, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say anymore. Uh, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and we will be back in one week's time.